You're listening to the GameStrategy.biz Microcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined today by... Christopher Dring. This is something different. Um, as you may have noticed, we've not produced a full podcast in a while. We've been a very busy team, uh, and so it's been harder to produce a full-length, in-depth discussion of the biggest stories. But what we're going to try and do going forward is this smaller kind of uh, info blast of these are the big stories, these are just breaking kind of all you need to know the top line details you need to know a little bit of kind of opinion on it and we're going to try and do these in as short amount of time as possible if this format works for you we just figure it might kind of fit into people's busy schedules if it works for you please do let us know if it doesn't work for you let us know and we'll kind of experiment with these going forward top story today is the european commission giving final approval to microsoft for its proposed acquisition of activision blizzard now this is the deal that was blocked in the uk last month but the eu has said yep we don't see any major issues with it it's interesting the EU previously issued a formal antitrust warning back in January saying that they were concerned that it was going to harm competition. They have since decided after the end of their investigation that there are going to be no major negative impacts on competition in console, PC and multi-game subscription markets. They were concerned, like the UK regulator, the CMA, they were concerned about cloud gaming, uh, but Microsoft has offered a remedy that should address this. Microsoft has proposed that it will give consumers in the European economic area free license to stream all current and future Activision Blizzard PC and console games for which they have a license. So any games that they own, they are allowed to stream them on any cloud serving, uh, cloud streaming service of their choice. And alongside that, obviously, Microsoft has offered a free license to cloud streaming services to allow players to play Activision Blizzard's PC and console games. This is a 10-year deal, as so many of the deals that Microsoft have signed in the last few months have been. Um, uh, but this has been enough to convince the EU that, yes, this is not going to present too much uh, competition or harm competition in the cloud gaming space, which is still quite a small area of the market. Um, the CMA, so the UK regulator that brought the deal, um, they released a statement on the EU approval, essentially saying, we disagree we still think this is giving Microsoft too much free reign over the cloud marketing and we will still block it. Now, it's important to remember that Microsoft uh, needs Microsoft and Activision Blizzard need approval from the EU, the UK and the US in order to get this deal through. The UK has blocked it. The FTC in the US has filed a legal uh, challenge to it and there's a trial due to happen later this year. It's unlikely we'll get a judge's decision by the end of the year. So... As much as this is a win for Microsoft and Activision, it's also like they, it's one of the three. They've still got two to convince, and you know the CMA certainly doesn't sound like it's ready to be convinced. I'm interested in this. I mean, I think we've said from the beginning that most people accept, expected this deal to go through. Um, there's been moments where it's like, well, actually, is this too big a deal? Is this is this going to significantly harm competition? I think it's interesting that it still comes down to cloud gaming, given that the cloud gaming market hasn't really been fully established. And I personally don't believe cloud gaming is anywhere near going to be as disruptive for video games as it was for music and video on demand. I just don't think the, the form of entertainment lends itself to streaming as easily as those passive forms of entertainment um i also think it's interesting that microsoft yes microsoft has potentially a leading position in cloud gaming due to xbox game pass due to uh you know the the library of titles it's already got through bethesda, bethesda and then potentially only activision blizzard it's got the azure cloud infrastructure and there isn't really any other competition but i find the lack of competition interesting because 
it's not Microsoft's it's not Microsoft's dominance that has resulted in the lack of competition. Google tried this with Google Stadia and failed. They're now trying to you know farm out their cloud tech to publishers to set up their own stuff. And how long has PlayStation owned Gaikai and OnLive and, and and basically yeah like it's its own cloud streaming service? Like PlayStation has a cloud streaming service has had it long before Microsoft did, but hasn't done as much with it. So. I, I question how much is Microsoft's fault, as it were, or how much it is. You know, it's not like Microsoft has aggressively taken dominance over what forms the cloud gaming market at this stage. Um, it's it's interesting. Chris, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously we're talking about that they're making a decision based on the potential future of the games industry, as you quite rightly mm. observe. And this is the reason for this is that they've in the past, they've, they've agreed tech deals such like Meta and WhatsApp, for instance, not realising what implications that might have down the line. And now regulators are being understandably cautious about agreeing a deal that could end up in a situation where Microsoft could end up dominating the games market because of its power in the cloud space. Um, and I think, but you're right, it's not a market that exists at the moment. Maybe it never will. But the the thing is, obviously, the, one of the reasons it hasn't existed is because the business model isn't right yet. And that's where subscriptions and that's where free-to-play potentially comes into it. But also it's not, it's not succeeded because the technology isn't quite there yet. And Microsoft with subscriptions and with get cloud streaming is trying to push the market in that direction. And they've got the content, which is something that Google didn't have. So that was that's part of that's part of the, the concerns. It's interesting. I think ultimately UU and the CMA have the same concerns. The concerns were the same. What different what differs is that Microsoft's offer of a licensing agreement with other with other services, EU've gone, that's great because that's good for consumers. They can get Activision content. Um, uh, via different methods now. That's a good thing. We'll approve the deal. The CMA have gone, this market is still so nascent. It's still so new. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? It might be problematic to police this deal. And, you know, it's 10 years. Like 10 years, the streaming market might take 10 years. Right? So there is this, there mm. is this, um, uh, there is just this, you know, and ultimately Microsoft are still in control. So there is this, uh, uh, I kind of actually, it's one of those things that I'm glad I'm not having to make this decision because um, it is complicated and it is based on a potential future. Um, and it is based on the fact that, you know, regulators have grown a bit stung in the past by approving massive tech deals that have ended up basically harming um, competition innovation. Whether that's what's happening here, well, that's, that's what's causing the regulators to be, to the CMA and the EU even to look at this. But whether it's... Um, whether it's fair, I, I, you know, it depends on your perspective on it. Um, ultimately, um, this deal isn't going through unless the CMA approve it, um, and the CMA have said no. To get it through, get to get it back through the CMA again is difficult. So, and the EU deal, this EU approval, it was always expected. It was expected back in February when we were in Brussels and we covered that that story there. The mood in the room was that EU was going to allow, allow this to go through. So. I don't think anything's changed. Um, I think it's. I think it's a bit, it feels like a, it could have been a negative story on the CMA because the CMA got attacked by Microsoft, attacked by Activision after their their, their decision, and the EU have come in and people could use that as a, as an attack as well. But rather than the CMA being quiet and ignoring it, they've gone back on the on the on the. Uh, they're very much uh, come out swinging, um, and it's very. We're seeing what we're seeing here is something far bigger actually than the Activision deal. We're seeing a battle between tech giants and regulators. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, it's now it's now whether or not that CMA can get approval. That's always been the big object ob obstacle. Now CMA was always the regulator that was most likely to block it, 
Um, uh, I still didn't think they were going to, but they were always the one most likely to, and they have. So um, uh, we're going to be running this story for the rest, for the next 20 years, I suspect. And um, yeah, I don't, I can't see this one. Ending. Uh, like <laughs> when they announced this and it's like, we're aiming to have this transaction closed by June 30th, 2023 with every step of the story this year, I have just seen that, that, that is just disappearing into the horizon. Mm. There is no end. Well, one last thing I would add would be um, the CMA, obviously not only, not, not just have they blocked the deal. I found it really interesting. They published an interim order uh, about a week ago where they have also prohibited Microsoft and Activision Blizzard from investing in each other and taking stakes in each other or even any of their subsidiaries. So like Microsoft can't invest in a or take stake in a Activision owned studio without prior written consent from the CMA. They are doing everything in their power to stop these two companies getting closer. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to to block off any potential loopholes that can be created, I suspect. Um, but you know, I am sick to death of the Activision Blizzard story. So can we talk about can we talk about <laughs> something that I, I am personally far more interested in, which is um, the Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom, which um, came out last week on Nintendo Switch and has been a phenomenal success critically, but also commercially. Um, we've got the UK data in; it's sold a lot. It is already in terms of revenue, it's the second biggest Nintendo launch of all time, behind the Wii Fit plus the balance board. In terms of uh, week one sales, it is the uh, fourth biggest Nintendo launch if you combine the Pokemon game, Sun and Moon, Scarlet and Violet together. It is by far the biggest um, uh, Zelda launch ever by, you know, considerable way, almost three times the launch sales of Breath of the Wild. It's been a huge success. That's just the UK. There's a report this morning, and, and, I, and I can corroborate it, that France has done almost half a million units um, in, in, in sales on this game. It is an absolute barnstorming success and Nintendo have done a very clever thing and I, I felt this was clever from the start when I saw it and, and it's and it seems to be playing it out that way they've created a game where people are just creating stuff and you know I didn't you know they're, they're, they're killing Koroks in horrific ways or that you can't actually kill them but they're sort of torturing Koroks in, in ways you know fans are sharing videos of their of their creations it's it's a wonderfully shareable game this is how you build community and this is how you build a game that can sell and sell and sell and I think at this point in the Switch's life cycle where everyone's now thinking about the next Nintendo machine, um, launching something like this that will carry them through to that case is, is extremely strong. Uh, I think it's a great move. It's, it's two big hits from Nintendo back-to-back -back alongside the Mario movie, which is now, I think, either the fourth or fifth biggest animated movie of all time, only slightly behind Frozen. And it's, it is a, it is a uh, wonderful time for Nintendo, where I think things aren't so good and where things are challenging is that we're not really seeing a huge surge in switch console sales so um mario movie did cause an uptick in switch console sales there was a bundle there and zelda obviously has caused an uptick it's not had no impact but it's not been a massive surge um uh the um the zelda game as well i, I always felt that if you're into zelda you probably already have a switch um so it, it's not had an immediate impact there. And I do think we're probably looking at the end of the, the Switch journey um, because momentum is starting to slow. And although these games are keeping their audiences engaged and it is causing some uptick in Switch sales, I'm not, I think we are seeing the end of this console where that, which is a bit sad because I think it may well be the greatest machine that they've ever made. What do you think, James? Have you been playing? I, I have been playing. I still have not got off the tutorial island, so <laughs> I'm not going to comment too much more on the actual game. But uh, yeah, I, honestly, given the choice, as much as I love discussing business with you, I would be happily be upstairs playing on my Switch right now. Um, 
I, you talk about like this this Switch journey kind of coming to an end. I think even Nintendo recognised that. Like in their own least latest financial results, they forecast they're they're going to sell 15 million Switch units this year, which is not so you know by the end of March 2024. That's not an insignificant number, but that is lower than the number that they sold last year. I believe they sold around 18 million last year, and even then they projected more than 18 million for the last financial year. So I think they recognise that they're reaching the limit of. You know, as much as they, they spoke for years about kind of selling multiple switches per household, and you know what, anecdotally, they have absolutely managed that. But every switch owner I know has at least one. We now, finally, are a multi-switch hand household. I've got five. Um, <laughs> you've got five. Yeah, see, you. Right, but, they, but how many more can they sell to you? They, yeah, they've recognised that the, the, the Christopher Drings of this world have all the switches they need and could want. And maybe it is time to start focusing but on that next I one. will say 15 million for, would be a great result. 15 million in the next financial year. 15 million would, would, be, would be impressive. For the seventh year of a console, to still sell 15 million would be Particularly great. a Nintendo one. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, how many Nintendo consoles reached their seventh year? Um, I I find I still find the parallel sorry, the parallels the the contrasts between the Breath of the Wild launch and the Tears of the Kingdom launch so interesting like the fact that Breath of the Wild was a, a Wii U title that became a Switch launch title as well launching at a time when Nintendo was coming off its poorest performing home console of all time like Wii U sold less than GameCube a much maligned but you know deeply beloved GameCube. Um, you know, it, it's selling into uh, like this uncertain market in terms of uncertain, like as to whether or not people would buy it. Like, you know, there, there was such a short window between the Switch unveiling and the Switch launch. Yeah. Um, you know, people weren't sure, like, you know, is is this going to be enough to to make up for what the Wii U did? Is Zelda going to be enough as a launch title? Would it not be stronger to launch with a Mario? And it just took off, and and you're now launch. You now see the point where Tears of the Kingdom is launching into, as you say, like one of the like the strongest times Nintendo has ever had. One of its biggest selling consoles. No, it's it, you know, yeah, one of its biggest selling consoles of all time. It's only been beaten by the Nintendo DS yeah. in terms of hardware unit sales. What I love is, software wise, there have been more than one billion Switch games sold to date which is more than any other Nintendo yeah. console in history. I will say... I w- That's how good this machine is. I will is. say, though, um, it's worth noting that during the Wii and the DS era, there was two platforms there Nintendo was selling. Yeah, And that's across fair, that's both true. those platforms, I think they've done like over 1.8 billion um, between those two. So it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's slightly skewed in that way. But the, the, um, the, 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 the Switch, I think for me... Um, uh, Breath of the Wild. You talk about the Breath of the Wild launch, which was which was a phenomenal launch. And you're right. Nintendo were in a very different position back then, and Zelda gave such a huge shot in the arm. But Nintendo have become a bit of a master of late surges. Last year's Pokemon Legends mm. Arceus is a famous one, and I actually think this Zelda launch there was. I'm not saying there wasn't excitement for it. Of course there was, but it wasn't until that very final trailer that it went from a, a concern to wild excitement. And so, um, yeah, well done to well done to Nintendo. Last story I wanted to talk about was Amazon and Middle Earth Enterprises have announced that they have entered an agreement to publish a Lord of the Rings MMO for PC and consoles at some point in future. There's no release window at this stage. They've literally, I spoke to uh, Christoph Hartman, the VP of uh, Games at Amazon, and he said they've literally just signed the deal. There's concept, there's there's some ideas floating around, they're going to start prototyping, like almost this week essentially, start prototyping game ideas. Um, This was interesting for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, announcement of a, a licensed IP MMO is not groundbreaking news most of the time, but I found this interesting because 
First of all, Amazon was previously working on Lord of the Rings MMO with Leiu Technologies, which is a Chinese-based um, games developer. They announced that in 2019. They scrapped that project, or at least announced it was scrapped uh, and cancelled in 2021 because Tencent bought Leiu in 2020. Now, what this did was this threw into question who had the rights to the project. Was it Leiu and thereby, therefore by expansion, was it Tencent? Was it Amazon because Amazon was going to publish it? Middle Earth Enterprises ruled that technically the rights had gone back to that, the company that owns the Tolkien rights. Um, and so the project had to be finished, uh, you know, had to be had to be abandoned. Amazon actually, speaking to Christoph, like uh, Amazon reached out to Middle Earth Enterprises and tried to get uh, another agreement into place, but Middle Earth didn't agree. They just couldn't find some kind of common ground. The interesting thing that changed was last year, Embracer Group bought Middle Earth Enterprises and Amazon's games team know people at Embracer. They already have a good relationship with their Embracer, both from kind of, um, you know, the, the the veteran games people they have there have previously worked with some of the people at Embracer. Um, Christoph Hartman mentioned, for example, like Randy Pitchford, uh, who works at Gearbox. Gearbox is now owned by Embracer. Um, but also Amazon is already working with Embracer because it is partnering with Crystal Dynamics, which is also owned by Embracer, to publish the new Tomb Raider game. So it's really interesting kind of like that 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 better working relationship enabled a deal to happen. And it's another sign of how ambitious Amazon is trying to be. They've stumbled. They have stumbled a lot. Um, you know, the first few games they, they tried to launch came out, had a middling reception and then were ultimately abandoned. New World, which launched last year, I believe, um, has done better. I wouldn't go as far as to say it is popular, but it is it is doing better. It's, it seems to be sustaining itself. Um, but Amazon clearly want to keep trying with this. The fact that they're publishing Tomb Raider and they're going into that kind of AAA space, the fact they're trying this Lord of the Rings MMO. Christoph actually said to me that um, his aim is to make, I think it was like the biggest MMO out there. And his logic is that using something like the Lord of the Rings license, which is popular beyond the realm of video games. You know, it's 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 a, a massive hit. You know, the Lord of the Rings films from the early 2000s are still really well thought of. The Rings of Power, the Amazon Prime video series, did fairly well. Like, the thought is to bring in this kind of wider audience to games is what they're trying to do here. It's going to be really interesting to see how well they manage this. Um, I spoke to Christoph, as I said, and there's a full interview going up on the site today. Um, Chris, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this project. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Um, Amazon, you know, we're going full circle. One of the reasons Microsoft's so aggressive in, in its acquisition strategy at the moment is it actually does see a lot of new threats from major tech companies that have a similar, or major, just major businesses that are of a similar size to Microsoft or, 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 you know, in terms of scale. And Amazon is one of those companies. Um, and, and Embracer, that relate, Embracer own a lot of studios, a lot of IP. Um, they're getting increasingly, they're becoming one of the biggest business, um, uh, just, just becoming increasingly huge. And Amazon having this partnership with them is, is certainly an in interesting, particularly as it now brings Tomb Raider and Lord of the Rings into the Amazon ecosystem. I think they are, they are definitely becoming a more interesting games business um, almost every week. And I, and I like that Christoph talking about being the biggest MMO, classic Christoph, very confident, very bullish man. Um, I, I look forward to it. That is all we've got time for today. We're going to keep these uh, microcasts relatively short. 
As we said at the top of the show, um, please do let us know if this format is of any use to you, if it's uh, something that you find useful, kind of having this shorter, brief discussion on the biggest stories, then we can start producing more of them. If it's not, we will still continue doing our larger, in-depth shows with the rest of the team, but we wanted to um, add a little something to our offering to see uh, see if it's, if it's useful to our readers and listeners. So please do let us know. Um, you can contact us via news at gamesindustry.biz is probably the best way to get hold of us news at gamesindustry.biz would be the email to fire off or we're on twitter we're on mastodon we're on linkedin we're on uh, facebook so do reach out to us on those channels thank you so much for your time this morning chris thank you so much for joining me thank you and we will see you next time on the gamesindustry.biz microcast mm-hmm.